This episode is sponsored by independent Swiss luxury watchmaker Ulysse Nardon. Ulysse Nardon has continuously reset the boundaries of watch engineering and design thanks to its long-established technical excellence and its unconventional approach to watchmaking. To find out more, visit ulysse-nardon.com. That's U-L-Y-S-S-E-N-A-R-D-I-N.com. Ulysse Nardon. You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. Look anywhere this winter, and chances are you can find someone wearing a Canada Goose down jacket, parka, or vest. The Canadian-based clothing retailer has been so successful at marketing its parkas and coats as elite winter wear that they've become one of the most popular luxury brands in the world. The company's parkas, identified by the round two-inch patch on the left sleeve and fur-trimmed hood, once warmed Arctic explorers and Canadian rangers, but today are commonly spotted on A-list celebrities and affluent urban consumers. Canada Goose is a great Canadian success story that is over 60 years in the making. Its prominence in the cold-weather clothing market did not happen by chance. Canada Goose has made many strategic choices along the way that have led to the success it is experiencing today. My guest on the luxury item is Carrie Baker, president of Canada Goose. A company veteran, Carrie has been with Canada Goose for more than 10 years. Prior to being appointed president of Canada Goose in 2022, Carrie was responsible for accelerating the North American business, one of the company's fastest-growing regions. Carrie has also held positions of EVP, Chief of Staff, and Chief Communications Officer at Canada Goose. Recognized as a strategic and collaborative leader through key stages of the company's growth, Carrie has helped lead critical initiatives, including the company's IPO and the development of its industry-leading sustainable impact strategy. Welcome to the luxury item, Carrie. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me. So first, I have to congratulate you on the strong Q4 sales performance, big gains in most of the regions around the world, especially Asia Pacific and Europe, Middle East and Africa, but a little softer in the US. Why the rebound everywhere except the US? Well, we see growth opportunity in all our markets around the world, including the US, um, but we expected softer sales last quarter. Um, we're very confident, though, that the headwinds are temporary, and we've already seen acceleration at the end of the quarter through to the current quarter. And the way we look at it, the U.S., I mean, and most brands would, the U.S. is the biggest luxury market in the world. And for us as a brand, we've, we've really only scratched the surface there. We know our brand is strong. And between opening new stores, our product expansion, um, we see tons of growth opportunity ahead. So when you think about our plans for this year specifically, retail-wise, we're nearly doubling our footprint from Atlanta to LA, continuing our Quest West. And then from products perspective, we're launching sneakers this summer, releasing more apparel. So there's so much more we're bringing to a market that really is still doesn't even know Canada Goose truly like the rest of the world. So see tons of opportunity there. So the explosive trajectory of the six-decade-old Canada Goose is pretty inspiring. The company went from being the brand of choice among forest rangers, dog sledders, and Arctic Circle expeditioners to a must-have luxury winter apparel brand among celebrities and urban customers worldwide. I mean, that's a whole world away from its humble origins. So when Danny Reese 
took over as CEO of Canada Goose in 2001 was his intention to transition the brand from a line of winter outerwear products for locals to a luxury product. It wasn't, I wouldn't say it's the original thought, but he certainly knew there was something special with the company. So he, I'm sure you know his story. He wasn't planning to get involved, but once he did, he did because he understood the power of the product in meeting people's needs. You talk about the, the original customers up in the North, very functional. And he realized this was a true real brand and that was rare. And so what he saw in that is that there's power in that and that you know, we were real brand then, we are today, and that is because we make real products that work. So he saw lots of potential in where this company could go and based on the power of being an authentic brand. So in my 11 years, years here, we've I've obviously been witness and been part of some of that explosive growth. And so we've taken that foundation, but then grown it into this international performance luxury brand that we are today. And and that is explosive growth. We, you know, when I started, I think we were doing well under $100 million. Um, I definitely remember crossing that that milestone. It was much celebrated. Right. And to think about today, we're more over a billion. So lots of shifts. We shifted from being a pure wholesaler to now a retailer. We've evolved from purely a parka brand to a brand that also offers you know, a wide spectrum of products, lightweight, rainwear, fleece, apparel, boots, sneakers, accessories, you name it. So yes, it's been quite the ride already. And I think lots more to come. So it's going to continue to be fun. So in the early 2000s, many North American apparel companies were moving their manufacturing abroad to pursue cheaper labor costs, but Canada Goose doubled down on its commitment to invest in producing its products in Canada. What was the thinking behind that decision? The thinking was really quite simple, actually. It was that where Canada Goose parkas were made mattered to people. So we're making, we were going up there making the world's warmest jackets. So they needed to be made in Canada. Canadians know cold and other people around the world know that Canadians know cold. So that was really the nugget, the core nugget of it. And then it was understanding and having the belief that being made in Canada would be a strategic competitive advantage, which it was and still is today. You talk about how other brands were, you know, chasing margin and going to the cheapest place to be made. We decided to, you know, double down, be the company that we are. And that was, it meant we had to be stayed, stay and made in Canada. And so that remains, you know, who we are at our core. And that speaks to, you know, our, our core values of being authentic, um, being good for the world. So quality, durable, durability, that those are cornerstones to um, being a sustainable brand. And then I think the last point it's just important to know is, you know, it, it shows that we we care about where things are made, but we also care about our people and our country. You don't see a lot of, you know, brands waving the flag of their country in the way that we have. And so by investing in the Canadian manufacturing industry, that was our way to, to put Canada on the map and now putting Canada on the map as a luxury brand. Again, you don't see a lot of luxury brands coming from this part of the world, but we're very proud of that. Today, you know, with our seven factories across Canada, we employ around 20% of um, the country's cut and sew industry, which is uh, something that we are very, very proud of. And from what I understand at first, North American retailers balked at the higher price point and weren't ready to embrace Canada Goose as a luxury brand. Why was that? They did, absolutely. And I think you have to remember that premium outerwear didn't exist 20 years ago, or certainly wasn't what it is today. So you brought you bought one jacket to keep you warm for winter. It was probably ugly. It was probably $169. And you didn't really think twice about, you know, whether it matched what was underneath, whether you were going to wear it for going to work or going out to a, on a date. It was a 
pure utility purchase. And so I think similar to what we all saw with, you know, the rise of premium denim, we built this new category, which means not everyone was ready for it when we started. So that's why when you think about where Canada Goose as a brand resonated, it really resonated in Europe first. Um, right. yeah. Europeans, Japan too, actually. Um, they already understood that importance of, you know, we want to buy quality. We want to buy craftsmanship. And they were willing to pay what that was worth. So we always joke, um, Canadians, we need someone else to validate our, our success <laughs> before we do. So ironically, we re-imported this Canadian brand back to Canada after, after Europe uh, sort of, you know, gave it the, the seal of approval. And then from there, of course, we continue to expand and export to other countries around the world. But today, when you think about outerwear, it's, you know, outerwear is now a conscious part of people's wardrobes. You're buying multiple jackets, from you know different purposes and there's an understanding there that you just didn't see you know 10 15 20 years ago about the value of quality craftsmanship and that luxury element so when did canada goose start gaining traction in north america as a luxury brand and appearing you know at high end retailers like barneys and bloomingdales and bergdorf yeah canada i mean canada came before the us truthfully it's funny when you think about i mean it makes sense in some ways because obviously we want to be strong at home it's our home market we want you know, uh, Canadians to embrace the brand. But when you think about the size of the opportunity from a commercial perspective, the U.S. would be biggest. So following our success in Europe, Canadians did start to embrace us as a homegrown brand. And then when we decided to deliberately invest in the U.S., the unlock really came once we set up a local team. And that was around 2009, 2010. So we always build new markets from that market. It's it's how you get to know the consumer. It's how you get to understand shopping behavior, what they want, what they want from you. So that was really important to us. And then I think the other thing that was um, is was key to our success was just wholesale. So you have to remember at that time, we didn't have any of our own retail. We didn't have online, we didn't have stores. Wholesale was our business. So that was instrumental in building the brand, laying the foundation for our success. And that really showed us you know, who was interested in us, where the demand was, and then what kind of opportunities we had. So you think about cities like New York, Boston, Chicago, they embraced us very early on. They still remain some of our top cities today. Um, but there wasn't a really single moment. I think lots of people always ask about what was the tipping point? Like, when was the trajectory? When did it just take off? It was much more gradual, but it was purposeful. And things like you know, again, setting up our office, having a team there, being part of Sundance, that helped us gain traction, partnering with brands, you know, in that market, like Gorsuch and, and the Barneys and all of that of the world, that really helped um, showcase what this brand was and what it meant to the rest of the world. Yeah, I want to talk about the category in general. You know, you walk around any major urban market around the world and you'll see a sea of fancy parkas and ski wear from the likes of Canada Goose or Montclair. And it seems in the last decade, outerwear has become more than just protection from the cold. Luxury winter wear has become a new signifier of status. How did winter wear become the next it category? I think people care more about everything they're wearing, frankly. And then, and that's for a couple of reasons. I think the rise of social media, the seen and be seen concept, we're all taking more photos, more pictures of more moments. We're posting them more frequently. So there's something about the visibility of just us as humans, as people, that I think you care more about what that looks like, what it feels like, you know, introducing. You don't want to just post the same picture with the same outfit day after day. And I think part of it is also celebrity. That's that's wrapped up into it, into it as well. People care about what celebs are wearing. We're following celebrities in a way that we just haven't, you know, in previous generations. And 
we noticed that a lot. Like once celebrities started showing up in our jackets, people started commenting on that more. So I think just overall people are more visible and outfit head to toe winter or summer has a very different meaning today than it, than it used to. And then I think the other factor is um, important to acknowledge is just the rise of luxury, right? The concept of luxury, whether it's footwear, whether it's apparel, whether it's cars, whether it's, you know, any other luxury industry that has grown explosively in the last decade. So people, I think they get the importance more of investment pieces. They want the best. They want things that last. Um, and so, as I mentioned earlier, like winter jackets, accessories, boots, you name it, people care more about it and they want more than just that utility coat. It's a critical element of someone's wardrobe today. You know, I've seen Canada Goose characterized as using the words authentic and honest and even called Canada Goose the Range Rover of clothing. Can you explain why Canada Goose has become a success story by wearing this authenticity on its sleeve? I think at its heart, it's because we've just never tried to be something we're not, and we never will. Our DNA, we know who we are. It's Our DNA is in making amazing, functional product with the very best materials and craftsmanship. And that really grounds us in everything we do. It, it's the lens, it's the filter and how we make choices about product, how we go to market. And that consistency, year after, season after season, year after year, I think that's what differentiates us. And I also think that's what resonates people. You know when you're being, you're not being sold the truth. And I think, um, you know, as, as consumers, as buyers, I think people, the, uh, they take a more critical look at that. And so sure, it'd be really easy for us to divert for that. Like a quick win. We've had opportunities to, you know, either do licensing deals or slap our logo on just any old product. But I think taking that easy route isn't luxury and it's certainly not us. So Again, you see that show up in all aspects of our business from CSR initiatives we create to partners we choose to work with to the people we we hire. Authenticity just drives us. So I think, yeah, I just think people respond to real. So in an interview last year, you were talking about Canada Goose being all in on its brick and mortar strategy. You mm -hmm. said the physical stores serve as an unfiltered window into our brand and allow us to create meaningful relationships with our customers. Canada Goose currently operates, I think, 51 permanent stores globally and plans to yep. double that amount in the next five years with an aim to have DTC account for 80% of your total revenues. What is the energy and approach you're taking with your stores to create a more appealing environment for your younger clientele without neglecting your long-established customers? The great question. I think truly we look at who we're serving, where, and how. So it's definitely not an, a one-size-fits-all approach. Of course, we want brand consistency around the world so people know it's Canada Goose Store. But it's really, we don't look at it in isolation. And we certainly don't look at it as, you know, this is the, the, the formula in every channel. We do think about the ecosystem. So whether it's e-commerce, retail or wholesale, we look at that as a complementary ecosystem. So when you think about e-commerce, it's comprehensive. It gives us a read on where demand is. It's an easy way for people to shop, probably their first entry into the brand. Then when you think about retail, I mean, that's the pinnacle experience. It's immersive. It's a chance to see the, the product touch and feel. It's where people fall in love with us, frankly. It's a chance to learn from one of our brand ambassadors in store to say, okay, is this the right product I'm looking for? And then the wholesale, um, they that allows us to either engage with new customers, people that we're not currently serving in our own environment, or test emerging categories, and then, of course, just give us reach. So for our stores, when you think about stores, 
for Canada Goose, I mean, we want it to reflect the brand. And so it has to be warm. It has to be approachable. Um, and our stores do have broad appeal. It's not just for younger audience. It's not just for traditional um, customers that have been buying us for 20 years. So some people, they come in, they're more drawn to our cold room and our snow room. They want to try on the product. They really want to get into the functionality of it. Others might be more interested in exploring our in Inuit and Indigenous art collection, because that's something they don't see in other stores. We also hold um, various events for our clients. So, you know, it could be a panel talk with a, an acclaimed Arctic explorer for more of our adventure clients. It could be a pre-shop event for the latest OVO collab. We did, oh, one we did, it was quite fun in London. We did a holiday wreath-making event. And so that was much more of a family-based approach. So mm -hmm. we really customize it based on what we know about who's shopping in that store or that environment. We'll be right back after a quick break with more of my conversation with Carrie Baker. A pioneer in innovative technologies and the use of high-tech materials such as silicium, Ulysse Nardin is one of the few integrated watch manufacturers with the expertise to produce its own high-precision components and movements. In 2001, the brand changed the face of watchmaking by launching the Freak. Freak led a counter-revolution to traditional watchmaking and reshaped the art of horology. Today, Ulysse Nardin remains devoted to its quest for watchmaking perfection through four collections, Freak, Blast, Diver, and Marine. We're back with more from Carrie Baker. And how are you going to use these temporary pop-up stores that I've seen you do? When it comes to pop-up stores, we think about them as really test and learn. It's our chance to understand, you know, how does that market work? How do consumers behave with our brand in that, in that environment? So um, I talked about Quest West with the U.S., so that's a great example. In 2020, we opened a pop-up at The Grove in L.A., then, so learned from that, understood how people, what they wanted, you know, product assortment, how they engage with us. Then in 2021, we opened our first store in California, and that was at um, South Coast Plaza. And now in a couple of weeks, we'll just be expanding to Bev Center in uh, Los Angeles. So it just gives us a chance to, to really learn the market without kind of committing to it for long term. And the other way we use pop-ups is really more catering to cultural moments like Sundance. We opened a store there or NBA All-Star Weekend. So it's a chance for us to sell product in something maybe we're already invested in. And how does e-commerce fit into the whole long-term strategy? So as I said before, it's it's a complementary part of that whole ecosystem. It might be the first place people go. They might be doing research, comparative shopping. Um, but it's also, we think about omnichannel. We want the customer to be able to choose how they serve. So they might have researched on online, they might have come in store to try it on. And then, you know what, we didn't have that exact product. So then we'll fulfill through omni-channel. So to us, it's about the whole ecosystem working in service of the customer. Part of the Canada Goose five-year plan that was laid out on Investor Day in February was expanding your product offering outside of Winter Parkers into categories like eyewear and luggage and home. You're already dabbling in footwear and non-seasonal apparel. You're aiming for non-Parker products representing just under half of Canada Goose's total sales by 2028. Why do you feel now that Canada Goose is in a position to enter this new territory? Well, most importantly, people are asking for it. So we <laughs> hear all the time. I mean, again, having been here for 11 years and working with the brand for 13 or 14 now, we hear all the time customers want. They want more occasions to wear the brand. They want more opportunities to have the brand in their lives. So. A perfect example is footwear. 
when you, if you've had a Canada Goose jacket, if you've worn a Canada Goose jacket, you know how com comfortable, how warm, how protected you feel. And so they're like, why can't I have that on my feet? My feet are freezing. So they've been asking us for years to make boots, foot, you know, all kinds of footwear. So we did when the time was right, when we thought that we could do that, which was a couple of years ago now. So we know there are opportunities to expand, but seeing that demand, hearing that feedback from customers gives us the confidence that, you know, we can, we can embrace these new opportunities for us but there there's definitely a balance i would say again back to that authenticity i hate to overuse it but it's such a good filter for us and right. we only do what makes sense for us so of course we've had we've had opportunities over the years to you know say bathing suits flip-flops it would be easy and probably some quick money and maybe some fun to throw a canada logo on a on a bikini but truly that's not us it's not authentic it would be a very big departure and i feel like that's that's where you start to lose the long-term value of your brand because it's not authentic um and then the last part for us is it's the most important thing it must be best in best in class so we're not going to compromise on making the very best in any category and our customers trust us for that so the worst thing that we could do is to just make something easy and quick it's it's uh you know it has to be the best of the best yeah, I was going to say, you have such a defined marketing position. Do you worry about the risk of Canada Goose non-Parka products being perceived as an emulation of other non-Parka brands and because kind of blur that market position? We're not because we're not, I mean, we're really happy being known for outerwear. I think we expect that. We know that that's what people come to us probably for the first product. It's always who we're going to be at our core. And frankly, I think that's quite an enviable position to be, to be known for something so well, but I don't, I, we don't worry about the, um, the expansion because I think people come into the brand and they're buying apparel or they're buying footwear because they trust us um, or they, the, the reputation, even if they don't have a Canada Goose jacket, or maybe they don't need one because they live in an environment where they don't need, you know, a big heavyweight down jacket, but that reputation precedes us. And so they trust, they buy into that trust and they're, you know, grabbing onto accessories or, you know, lightweight down or just a piece of knitwear. So no, it, it doesn't worry us at all. I think it, it gives us a really envious, enviable and very strong position for, to grow from. Women represent about 48% of Canada Goose's total sales. The company's goal is to grow that closer to the luxury industry average of more than 60%. Was the Canada Goose fall winter 2022 live in the open women's wear campaign shot by Annie Leibovitz part of that strategy? Can you talk about that campaign? Absolutely. I love talking about this. It was a very fun campaign. Um, no surprise you, to hear me say it starts with a product. So before you get to the campaign and how you bring it to a product to market, you have to have the right product. And so to us, it was about appealing to different types of women. Some historically, our aesthetic has been quite utilitarian um, and some women prefer that. Um, so that aesthetic of Canada Goose is known, but we see opportunity in also providing maybe more traditionally feminine silhouettes, giving her more opportunity to reflect her individual style um, as, a, as a woman. So and also have more occasions to wear Canada Goose. The utility jacket that you're wearing to explore the Arctic is probably not what you want to go on date night with. So we're introducing new styles, new fabrics, new silhouettes. That's the product focus. Then, yes, Annie, uh, it was a big part about showing up differently. So showcasing um, us as a brand that appeals to women. So the campaign, I'm not sure how much you know about it, but it, it showcased three incredibly strong women shot yeah. by a very obviously inspiring woman. So Jody Turner-Smith, Suju Park, Khadija Red Thunder. These were all individually amazing women that have these powerful stories that we wanted to be able to tell through the lens of Canada Goose. And, and I think it spoke to 
like women want to be seen, right? I want, I want to look at a brand. I want to see a campaign that understands me, gets me, understands my needs. And that campaign achieved that. It really resonated with younger women. Um, it helped us reach new audiences that just maybe weren't thinking about Canada Goose in the way we wanted to be thinking about. So I think for us, when you look at our goal, we'll reach that goal by doing exactly that, listening to women, giving them what they want, and then showcasing um, showcasing that back to them. So you can expect a lot more from us uh, in this vein. On the sustainability front, Canada Goose published its fourth sustainability report at the end of 2022. The brand already has a set of purpose standards in place that you call human nature. And mm -hmm. you recently launched Generations, a e-commerce platform that enables people to trade in old Canada Goose jackets and apparel. Can you talk about what the sustainability roadmap you're following and some of the key achievements Canada Goose has reached in the past few years? Absolutely. So sustainability truly has been a part of who we are since the very beginning, just by nature of you know being made where we're being made. We've always been driven by that purpose to keep our planet cold and the people on it warm. So that's what you talked about, the human nature platform. So the fact that we design for a lifetime, not just a season, and offer a product lifetime on warranty on our jackets, the fact that we're transparent about our commitment to made in Canada manufacturing, as well as those long-term sustainable initiatives, things like our partnership with PBI, Polar Bears International, or our um, resource center program. Those are all testament to this long-standing commitment to be a company that's good for the world. So yes, we've we've um, been more bold and ambitious as we've released our human nature platform. There are big goals. We've made a lot of meaningful progress. So continuing to achieve carbon neutrality every year until we achieve net zero emissions in 2025. We're now certified under uh, the RDS, so Responsible Down Standard, and we no longer make jackets with fur. And then, as you say, we recently launched our e-commerce platform, Generations, in the U.S., and we'll be expanding that to Canada shortly and, of course, the rest of the world um, thereafter. But along with authenticity, sustainability is such a big part of who we are, what we do, what products we're making, what decisions we're making. So it just translates across the business. So when you think about from a product perspective, we're committed to uh, sustainable packaging, eliminating plastics, and then transitioning into more sustainable materials. I wanted to talk about the coyote furs you just referred to before. Mm -hmm. So for a while, Canada Goose held steady on using coyote furs on the trim of its parkas, while many other luxury fashion brands committed to stop making animal fur products. In 2020, you announced the brand would no longer be buying new fur from trappers and would instead be using reclaimed and recycled fur already part of the supply chain. And at the end of last year, you ceased using fur altogether. Canada Goose has certainly got a share of backlash. I don't have to talk to you about that. So why did you finally decide to stop using fur? I mean, it's interesting. I think a lot of people make the activism aspect of this so much bigger than it is, but we expect that. I mean, when you're a category leader, when you're doing something that you believe in and doing something that's never been done before, you, you expect that level of feedback. So it certainly wasn't something that we let impact our decisions. We never have, never will. We're driven by what and how we can meet our customers' needs. So when you think about our decision to go for free, it was really driven by our purpose, our commitment to sustainability, innovation, and making sure that we could still deliver on our promise, which is that our a functional product. So we knew we could still deliver the same level of protection without using fur on our hood. So, you know, the fur trim around your hood protects your face, it breaks up the air. And so our innovation team was instrumental and our design team instrumental in figuring out how do we do that without fur, which we have. So that's really what drove that decision. I want to talk about Canada Goose's collaboration strategy. You've done a number of interesting collaborations ranging from Drake's lifestyle brand, October's very own, 
to LA streetwear label Union. So how does Canada Goose properly play within the context of collaborations with other fashion brands without sacrificing its identity or taking missteps? I think the way we think about collaborations is this is the chance to have play and have some fun. So there aren't a lot of areas where you could truly take missteps as long as you're staying true to who you are as a company, obviously. But it's our way we get to introduce something fresh and new to the world that maybe we wouldn't with our core line. So it's 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 an experimental um, endeavor. And the way we work with each partner is different. So you mentioned OVO, we long-standing partner of us. We know each other's design languages. We know where we can push and pull. And so that's um, over the years, we've just worked that out very quite easily. With new partners, you know, the challenge from us is we're saying, okay, how do you create a function first? That's our design approach. How do you lean into that? And then of course, they're going to push us to try new things that speak to their brand. So we set those parameters together. We always try and start with an open mind and create from there. The brainstorming process is very fun. And it's inspiring to see, you know, when you see two creatives, how they interpret, how they interact with our, each other's products. Um, it's it's very inspiring and new ideas spark from that. You know, sometimes we find we're working with an existing style and they have help innovate it and present it in a way that just we would never think about, which is very cool. Or we're working with a completely brand new style. And when we launch it and market to the world, it performs so well that we end up bringing it in line. So Reformation is the Lorita Puffer is a perfect example of that. So at the end of the day, collaborations for us, it's it's a way to engage with the consumer in a totally new way and just have some fun. How much have you learned from other brands and influencers when working together? I think a lot, whether it's the way they see a silhouette, whether it's a new fabric that maybe we weren't considering. Um introduction of patterns. Um, we've done so many interesting things that started in collaboration again, because it's a very easy way to test something. You're not trying to change your whole line. So we've, we've learned a ton, frankly, over the years. And it's that those learnings have, you'll still show up in either the way we market, the way we make the product or what the actual product is that we're making. So Canada Goose started making a dent in China back in 2018 with its first store in Beijing, and now it's one of your biggest markets. Like many luxury brands, Canada Goose sales was impacted in a big way by the mall closures and travel restrictions in China. Now that things are starting to rebound in China, what are some of the ways Canada Goose plans on getting back on track for long-term growth there? I'd say we are on track, actually. Um, the brand remains very strong, and so consumer demand was very high. Once once they were able to shop, they came back in full force. Um, and I think that's a testament to the quality of the brand, of course, the stage of market we're at. But since we entered China five years ago, we've been investing for the long term. So it was really important to us not to diminish our investment through the pandemic. We continue to invest in marketing. We continue to open stores um, because that was the right thing for the brand in the long term long-term. So our business in APAC, of course, which China is a large part of, has grown tremendously since the start of COVID. So trying to think back in 2020, I think we had three stores in mainland China. Today, we have well over 20 with new stores opening. I was going to say every week, but it's not every week, but many new stores <laughs> coming online this, this year. And our APAC business has grown to be more than 350 million. So we are all in on China and APAC. We continue to build the local team. We've just announced a local CSR project in one of China's national parks. And then we're planning to return to the um, the CIIE, the China International Import Expo in November. So it is a big focus for us and the brand is doing extremely well there. 
Despite being in its early stages, the metaverse is getting a lot of attention for its significant potential and substantial rewards. So it's no surprise that many luxury brands have embraced digital technologies to build interconnected shopping experience like virtual clothing capsule collections sold on Roblox or token gated member clubs, things like that. And I know Canada Goose has created both AR and VR experiences for try-ons and try-outs for various products. Does Canada Goose have a specific Web3 strategy or you're kind of still in this experimental mode? I would say yes and yes. <laughs> so yes, <laughs> we have a strategy. Yes, we're still in experimental mode. And frankly, because it's a space that is constantly evolving and at rapid speed. And for that reason, I mean, I think we should always be in experimental mode. That is where the fun happens. That's where the, the big reveals, the unlocks happen. So of course, we're going to experiment appropriately, strategically. Um, and that's based mostly on how do we want to engage a particular audience. So when you think about what we've done before, NBA 2K. So that allows us to enter the gaming world, meet sports fans in a completely new way. Um, we did a footwear AR try-on with Snapchat. That was when we were introducing a completely new category for us. We wanted to introduce it to new audiences in a new way that would make people go, okay, there's something different here to pay attention to. So honestly, we've just scratched the surface. We have um, just had a chief digital officer join us, Matt Blonder, who's amazing and excited about all of the potential that we have. So definitely looking to accelerate our digital innovation. And we see lots of opportunities, particularly in store. So watch this space. So I was reading that Canada Goose is also a favorite of film and TV actors and crews alike, especially when they're off screen and need to keep warm in frigid weather scenes. Can you talk about the relationship that you fostered with film and TV industry? Absolutely. Yes. So our relationship with the um, entertainment, film and entertainment industry goes back many, many like decades. So I'm probably closing in on 30 decades now. So it was first built out of necessity. Crews, as you say, needed that gear. They wanted to have something warm that they could you know, continue to do those long overnight shoots, or if they were filming literally in cold environments or Antarctica or something like that, they wanted something that would enable them to do their jobs. And over the years, I've had lots of directors talk to me about how this is my armor. This is the jacket <laughs> that gets me through the battle. So, you know, also when you think about our big jacket, like our expedition jackets, one of the favorites of directors, right. because it's got so many pockets. Of course, it's warm, but they can stick their script in it. They've got their whatever gear they need, their headphones, all of the stuff. It's just in one piece of clothing. They've got everything they need. So it's it truly is a piece that they can't live without. Then when you think about like, yes, talent saw that, they were starting to embrace us as a warming jacket. So in between shooting, keeping warm on set, keeping comfortable. And then that led to on-screen appearances really to authenticate situations. They, you know, directors, producers, writers, if you were going to shoot something in, you know, Nunavut, Northern Canada, you would see Canada Goose jackets there. So it started to be like, wow, we want to be authentic. And so they would require their their actors to wear our stuff so yes we are known as the official unofficial jacket of film crews everywhere and then we've also become this off-duty essential for celebrities and athletes and musicians you mentioned sundance and so that yeah, was right a, right i want to talk about the, that yeah. special edition jacket that you create for uh, the sundance film festival director yeah for us that's really it was really a storytelling opportunity again because we already had this incredible organic relationship with the entertainment industry we wanted an uh, an organic natural way to tell that story in Sundance, as well as, you know, Toronto International Film Festival, that same thing. We created a jacket for the directors and it became sort of this coveted 
annual thing of like, if you got a film in Sundance, you got a Canada Goose jacket. So it was, it really was just about a, how to tell the story in authentic way, continue to nurture that relationship with this important industry for us. And it just, it gave us a bigger platform. So looking ahead, what can we expect from Canada Goose in terms of marketing emphasis? Great question. I would say lots um, without going into the deep dive of strategy, but I think the way we think about marketing is it goes well beyond campaigns. So it truly is how we engage with our consumers 360. Um, we try to be as customer obsessed at Canada Use as we possibly can. So knowing who they are, where they are, what they're doing, and that really informs. So marketing isn't just billboards. It's not just, you know, spots on YouTube or, you know, it really is, it might be an influencer. It might be a seating program. So the closer we can get to that consumer, we know the better our business will be. So of course, CRM has a play to, a role to play in that, leveraging our relationships, getting the data to clientele, how do we segment our customers, just again, getting closer to knowing our customers. I, we talked about it before, women, Gen Z, that we have a huge opportunity to continue to build affinity with those groups. So I would say lots more to come on that, whether it's partnerships, collaborations, digital channels. And then one of the interesting things I think the team has been working on, which I love, is this idea of sustainability lens to how we create content and then also how we put it into the world. So I think that's such a cool opportunity for us to live our purpose, adapt to more sustainable practices and in an area that you don't typically think about um, from a sustainability perspective. So I think that's it's a really good endeavor. The team is very excited to be a leader in that. And then, of course, what I just talked about, film and entertainment, music, sport, there's so much excitement here to play further in some of the pop culture areas that we already play in. So more to come. So, Carrie, my final question is the luxury item question, which I ask all my guests. So if you were stranded on a deserted island and you could only have one luxury item with you, what would that one single luxury item be? It can't be any form of air or water transportation to get you off that island or anything that requires mobile service. So you can call somebody to get you off that island. It's just you, lots of sand, lots of palm trees, maybe a few coconuts, lots of ocean. What would that one single luxury item you would like to have with you? It sounds idyllic, frankly. Um, this is a really fun question. You made me think about it. Um, hmm. I mean, I'm going to just assume that I am decked out head to toe in Canada Goose already. So obviously that's right. That's I a am. given, right? Yeah, that's a given. Um, I would say probably a moleskin notebook. I mean, I'm hoping mm. there's a pen somewhere on the, on the, on the Island, but I mean, I, I tend to do my best thinking or I, on vacation. So I don't want to lose those ideas. If I am deserted, I'm clearly having an adventure. So some way, some way to record my thoughts, look back at it later. Yeah. And I just, I adore moleskin. Carrie Baker, president of Canada Goose. Thank you so much for joining me on The Luxury Item. Thank you. This has been fun. Great to speak with you. That's it for this episode of The Luxury Item Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time.